welcome. Uh, when will it end? Oh, actually, I didn't even check. Uh, do you have a, a name? Should I keep you a secret? Um, what? No, you, no you, you can use my name. Okay. Um, well, let me, t uh, why don't, do you want to say hello? Sure. <laughs> say hello. This is what everyone Hello. <laughs> this is Jason. Hello. Hi, I'm Jason Leroy from the Binge Movie Podcast. Yeah. A uh, wonderful podcast that I've been listening to since you told me about it. Um, though your episodes Thank are you. too infrequent is my my main <laughs> critique right now. <laughs> that is that is a common critique that uh, that we hear and uh, and and yet we persist. Yes, you don't act without on any criticism. <laughs> yeah, we we hear it, we acknowledge it, we honor it, and uh, and we continue not doing it. Amazing. So. Um, how long have you been you've been doing this for a while, right? Yeah, we've been doing the show since I think 2015, so it's been like eight years. Amazing. Uh, yeah, yeah. I I had always been a movie critic, just you know, more more the written format. And um, and then one day, my friend Rebecca pitched me on the idea of doing it as a podcast, um, which was appealing to me because I had taken on sort of a full time writing job that made writing in my free time seem a lot less appealing. And mm -hmm. uh, so I was like, okay, maybe I can try doing this just, just, just blurting out my thoughts instead of putting them into the written word. And uh, and Rebecca and I have had like a, a hell of a journey because when the show began, it was literally just me reading prepared comments, incredible about each movie, while Rebecca just sat there, <laughs> and, and eventually she was like, we should make this more interactive. I'm just like, I don't know. Uh, Wait, how many years uh, did Rebecca put up with just sitting there? It was, she put up with it for like maybe a few months okay, um, good, good, good. and and whenever she would try jumping in it would be a lot like i don't know if you ever saw on snl Vanessa bayer used to have a character that she had like company like joan of the bar mitzvah boy where he was always like reading these prepared jokes on weekend update and whenever colin jokes whoever would try to like interject and like make it a conversation she would just stop and just kind of look at him and then go back to her prepared remarks yeah, um, that was that was very much mine and Rebecca's dynamic until Wonderful. I learned to be able to, you know, riff. <laughs> well, um, yeah, I don't know that I've ever learned to riff. Uh, maybe uh, <laughs> I don't know. I guess I riff. I do. I, I, uh, I don't try to riff and the riffing happens. I think that's sort of like <laughs> what riffing's all about. It's just falling into it like um, soup yeah. or the ocean yes i guess it's a liquid i, I think of riffing <laughs> as gap. liquid based yeah fall into the gap yeah um yeah no i mean the day's young so let's let's see how much riffing we get up to do you um see rebecca as ever do you think uh they uh she uh, sorry pronouns for rebecca she 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 great do you think she would um want to come on for bridget jones two or three or what do you think? I I, I, I can ask her. Uh, yeah. I don't think that she has the same um, interest in this particular franchise that I do. Uh, but uh, I could always I could always well, try pitching hey, her on it. No pressure, but um, <laughs> it's a really fun show. I uh, love your dynamic, and I just I listened to the your most recent episode, which was it was actually just this month, right? Or no, last month. The bottoms. Yeah, I think we just taped one a few weeks ago. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, we don't need to talk about it too much, but I loved Bottoms. It was like I've never—I I didn't know they made comedies like that anymore. I—I I was all fully on board. It was wonderful. Yes, yeah, so. that was just yeah. They—they—they—they they, they, they don't make those anymore, and and when they do, they certainly don't tend to see the inside of the movie theater. So it was remarkable that that yeah. movie got a theatrical run. It was fun. It was like 
I because you I I didn't I don't think I've ever said the word dirtbag. Well, no, I've said the word dirtbag, but it's been many years, and I love that you just like uh, mentioned uh, two lesbian yeah, dirtbags. Dirt yeah, I'm just like fuck yeah, this is like. But it was it's it did the thing where it was like sort of edgy at the same time of being sweet, and I don't know, I fell for both sides of it. I really liked it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I yeah, I I, I concur. And I also, I mean, just the fact that it led to Rebecca having like a mid-show bombshell memory reveal that she herself had once like set a predatory scheme into motion to like yeah. skis on girls. Incredible. Like, <laughs> just, I mean, truly. And she has a long history of like playing her cards pretty close to her vest on the show in terms of her personal life. Mm. So for her to just say that was really, it felt groundbreaking to me. It was great. Uh, I really, I really appreciate that moment. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I I also just sitting here thinking about how you and I met and how funny it is that, you know, that now here we are doing this uh, just maybe maybe two months after the fact. Uh, it's amazing what, what a karaoke night at a, at a bar can, oh, yeah. can accomplish. It's uh, I mean, I don't I think I told you that my current well, current. It's a weird way to put it. My only spouse, <laughs> yeah. my spouse, um, sure. our second. I mean, we met on Hinge, but like, well, uh, I think. I fell in love with Amy at karaoke. I think karaoke is the, is a magical place and um, it allows yeah. for everything to happen. I think it's sure similar it to podcasting because like if you're being a dick about it, then mm. no one really wants you there and no one really likes you. And podcasting is also mm-hmm. similar. Like, yeah, I guess there's dick podcasts and maybe it's sort of funny, but like uh, if you're yeah. just accepting people to do whatever they want and being there to encourage that and as long as it's fun and safe, like, yeah, karaoke is yeah. fucking great what would you what would you say are some are some karaoke party fouls that you've seen in your in your years Mm, i would say being uh at all critical of people is a party foul i think karaoke Mm -hmm. is a space Mm -hmm. for people to do what they want and uh just yeah just if you're saying oh they're not very good at it then i don't think you understand what karaoke is you know it's not about being on pitch it's uh it's about expressing love in um in a way that I mean, I just sit on the ground, like I sit next to a mop bucket and just uh, hope for the best. And uh, <laughs> people are people are into it. And then another faux pas is to go around being uh, weirdly sexually aggressive. That happened once at one of the karaoke's. That was happening the night that we met. Uh, really? Uh, it was. Yes, there was. There was somebody there who um, uh, became very sexually aggressive with a, a friend, a friend of the group that I was with. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. So that sucks that it's, it's, I thought it was just like a weird one because it only happened once in the Boston place we went to. And it was just like, this is so anti karaoke. What are you doing here? But that, that's, that's not good. Well, this, this was, this was, this was a funny situation uh, because essentially, so, you know, I was there with a little crew of people. I was visiting, I was staying with friends for the week in, in, in North Adams. And, uh, and then one of the guys that we were with, is like this sweet straight boy um, and who's just the kind of like golden retriever straight boy who just like just everyone at some point or another is just like, I think maybe he's in love with me. Um, But like, but that's just like his vibe. And so there was this, there was this queer boy uh, there that night who was just very much on the prowl. And I noticed them talking and I was like, oh, cool. Although at the same time, I was like, I wonder if our straight friend knows that, that boy wants to fuck him like really badly. 
Um, and I was looking at just like the just the blank innocent smile on, on our straight boy's face, and I was like, he doesn't, he doesn't know. And then it got to the point where um, they exchanged numbers, which it, 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 this 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 straight boy is truly so just oblivious um, and trusting that he's just like, cool, I made a friend. And then seconds later, he got a text from his new friend saying like, so do you want to get out of here and fuck me or what? Wow. And he's there with his girlfriend in our group. And our group is all gay boys. Um, so we're just like, what are you? How did you? And he's just like, I don't. Uh. Um, and, you know, and, and then we all just stayed there. And so we were there oh, no. another several hours with like just this awkward silence between <laughs> these two formerly new friends. Um, yeah, well, it, was, it was rough going. But yeah. I, I hope that that queer boy scored with somebody that night. But uh, unfortunately, he went after the wrong one. Mm. That's too bad. Well, um, yeah, that's no fun. And it's sort of, I guess it's a, it's a good, I guess it's a good segue into uh, the Bridget Jones verse, which is just rife with um, just, I don't even know. I can't, it's like, it's so in the distant past and for what, like it feels very 2001 way, but it's just like people suck in this movie in um, sometimes delightful ways, sometimes hilarious ways, but all always just like, in ways that it's like it's a very uncomfortable movie. Yeah. When did yeah. so did you see yeah. this when it first came out or like what's so what's your you you chose this I I let I did I let my guests choose the franchises and so far it's been uh perfect so it's been great so far and I'm curious your your history with it what's what brought you to bring this to the to the one we're let end. Well, yeah, I I go back a, a long way with the Bridget Jones, uh, well, books first, um, and then uh, and then the movies. Um, I I read uh, the first book not long after it came out in the late '90s. Um, I believe it was published in like '97. It first started as um, a newspaper column in 1996 that Helen Fielding, oh, uh, the author, she was writing these sort of fictitious um, newspaper columns. Uh, as this character, um, it, not not dissimilar from how um, Tales of the City started when okay. Ernest and Moppet started writing Tales of the City, you know, running this sort of these sort of serialized, uh, just just sort of little pieces and essays, um, and you know, sort of diaristic entries that would run in the newspaper. Um, so that's how Bridget Jones began. So you and were reading the these out, when they were published. You you've been a fielding. I, head? I was. <laughs> I am for sure a fielding head. If only I had uh, been able to read those. Those no, this was this was like ninety six. Ninety six. I was like fourteen, and they were running in like a UK newspaper, and the internet was <laughs> okay. not what it is. Today. Yeah, very hard to find. Okay. Um, so, but eventually the book came out, and I remember reading it on like summer vacation with my mother one time, in you know maybe ninety seven or ninety eight. And it's funny. I was thinking about this last night as I was rewatching this this first film. I was like, what was it about the story of like a single 30 something British woman <laughs> resonated so powerfully with me as like a 15 year old gay boy uh, in a small town in the US. And I think probably the, the, the shared commonality is probably rampant insecurity. Um, I think so. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and just the sense that like, you know, just this, this, I don't know, this, this near primal fear that like, you know, no man is ever actually going to want to be with you. Yeah. And all you can do is just endlessly work away at yourself to try to like make yourself into this ideal that will be desirable to the male gaze. Uh, so 
but yeah, I, so for whatever reason, I did not question that at the time. I was just like, this is hilarious. <laughs> um, I had no introspection about it. I was just like, this is so fucking funny. And um, which it is. It's a, a wildly funny book. Um, and so this was one of those times where I don't, probably wasn't the first time where I had actually had read the book before seeing the movie. But this was one of those times where, you know, I came into it with a lot of mm, I had a lot of expectations having been a big fan of the book. And uh, and like many, of course, I was flabbergasted by the casting of a Texan actress to play this quintessentially British role of Bridget Jones. It's wild. Uh, I like, but yeah. it works. I was like, wait, is is Renee? Is she actually British? And she's been putting on other accents her whole. I, she did a yeah. an, a great job. And I really like what yeah. you said about. I think this movie, if it had been made now, would have really played up the insecurity element, and. I still I want to talk to you about like I I still don't really know if I even like this movie um so I need to hash it out with you but that's like something that I really admire is that this movie is just sort of laced with insecurity and it's I feel like modern movies would be way more like this woman is insecure and here are all the ways that she's insecure and this is the problem in her life and here's just like batshit shenanigans happen for two hours and it's you always feel that anxiety and the dread of her being herself and i i i'm glad it was made 20 years ago rather than today i think that might have just been way more obvious and less just like a part of who she was and i I, it's good i I think that's and it's unfortunately relatable for i think a lot of people insecurity so you sort of like that's the attraction with her is like yeah she's obnoxious she's insulting she's not very good at anything she tries to do but (laughs) <laughs> uh maybe none of us really are yeah it was uh, i really like the way you put it that's the, the similarities yeah. are there yeah yeah no i mean like i i feel like it's i, I mean self-deprecating humor has always been you know sort of my, my my favorite kind of humor and and the books are the books are even more kind of i would say heightened and uh, and and lacking in pity i think i remember that was one thing that turned me off when i first saw the movie was i was like oh they kind of try to almost humanize her too much like in the in the book she really is just a sort of unmitigated laughing stock um which i mean the author is making fun of her own experiences and sort of you know creating this character from them um but the book was for, was is fully lacking in self-pity and i think there's a little bit of self-pity that goes on in this movie mm-hmm. um but I, but I think that yeah yeah um but i think that's also to make it more palatable as um a romantic comedy uh, you know, to yeah. have her be slightly more fleshed out as like a dimensional human being with a full range of emotions. And we see those moments that in the book, whenever they land, because the book is all written first person diary format. Uh, so there's no reaction shots. You know, there's no there's no sort of outside perspective on Bridget reacting to being humiliated. It's all just written from her own first person point of view, which is very like just British and sort of unsparing. Yeah. Um, so you know what I mean? That's huge. Yeah, that's like such a different uh, translating that into a film where you get everyone's it's it's like you get the narration which captures the first person, but other than that, it's a there's a the camera's a POV and you get to see everyone's mm-hmm. responses and we're not we're not Bridget. So yeah, it's a right. I think you're I think you're right. That's like an inherent way that this movie can't really compete with the book. I tried to read the book. I will be honest. Um I have the second one hopefully coming before we uh do the second recording and the third one i have already so uh-huh. <laughs> i will hopefully catch up on the books 
Um, well, let me tell you, you're going to get to, when it gets to the third one, and we'll save that for that episode, but the movie and the book have no relationship to each other by that point. Uh, none. Okay. Um, yeah. Oh, that's right. Because actually, you've chosen this. I don't know if you realize, but um, do you know about the fourth movie? Um, I feel like every now and then I'll see like some rumor, um, but I, I'm not aware of anything actually in production. Jason? There's, I mean, unless it falls apart, they've, it's been greenlit or whatever, you know, the term, I don't know anything, but um, uh, they, whoever, the director is back, this director is back to Check adapt the third film, the third book. So, oh, well, what you mean the fourth, you, you said a fourth movie, fourth movie is actually adapting the third book. So, oh, yeah. What? Yeah. So I, I know I didn't really, I mean, you did sign all the paperwork, you signed all the NDAs, the, the contracts. Um, you are legally bound now to record mm -hmm. any further Bridget Jones content yeah. for when will it end? So I will have to call oh, on you I once did. that comes out. Absolutely. Great. Yeah, I mean, if that if that if that happens, then I I I, I would I'll be here with bells on. But wow, you're but, the first but, person but, to react positively to that. <laughs> that burden. I mean, I gotta see it. I gotta see what kind of train wreck that becomes. But <laughs> but but on on the subject, just briefly of that director, Sharon McGuire, first yeah. of all. Um, she is she is the inspiration. She's a friend of Helen Fielding's, and she is the actual inspiration for the character Sharon slash Shazer in the movie in the book. So there's the friend who has the blonde hair who says fuck a lot. Mm -hmm. That that is the inspiration for Sharon McGuire, the woman who actually went on to direct the first and third and, and potentially the fourth films. Wow. I, uh, I think so she was on Taskmaster. Do you ever seen the show Taskmaster? Oh, the actress who played Sharon? In, so you, my brain is um, falling apart before you. You said there's a movie in the book, so there's a movie version of this in one of the books? Oh, so, uh, sorry. So what I was trying to say was that the character in this movie of Sharon, it, who goes by Shazer, is like the British uh, abbreviation of Sharon. And which one is Bridget's friend. Who's Bridget's friend with the blonde hair, the long okay. blonde hair, yeah. who swears a lot. Yeah, she was on Taskmaster. So, okay, that actually, so, <laughs> her name is Sally something. I was recently reading, I know that this movie is like, just more, almost as much as Harry Potter, is just overflowing with like British character actors that like, I, I read, Lindy West recently did like, uh, an in-depth review of this movie and the whole time was just her being like, oh my God, it's so-and-so from such and such. Um, yeah. Because she's a big British TV nerd as well. But uh, so what I was saying was that the director of this movie, Sharon McGuire, okay. is in real life the inspiration for the character, Sharon. Okay. Um, yeah, and that Sharon McGuire, the director, is Helen Fielding's good friend in real life. Um, which, while I'm on this tangent, I'll just write into the ground. This, this is the first franchise in history to be entirely female directed. What? So that's, yes. Incredible. Yeah. Okay. First franchise in history to be entirely female directed. That's disgusting, um, actually. I mean, I love that. But I it's know. Like, it's fucking, that's crazy. Yeah. It is. So first time in history, and this is also the first romantic trilogy to be created and completed in the, in the 2000s. So this is to date, I believe, the only romantic trilogy to get theatrical releases. Wow. Um, uh, so there's, there's a lot of history with the Bridget Jones franchise. Yeah. Um, and it, this director, Sharon, I mean, maybe she's doing other things, but her, yeah, she's like, 
uh bridget jones incendiary seven years later call me crazy six years later bridget jones uh three years later and then godmothered four years later and that's it she's just like mm-hmm. yeah works very infrequently and um yeah. i'm curious this her her directions like this feels like a uh, 90s movie in a lot of ways oh yeah it's uh so 90s yeah it's just uh i'd love to see more i guess i will i'm gonna be watching the third yeah. one but yeah she's um funny in a way that it's definitely well she is british she's british or yeah, no she is british okay. she is british yeah uh <laughs> and this you know in this movie came out in like april 2001 which means it was probably shot in 2000 which is basically the 90s and for me like the 90s didn't actually end <laughs> here's a here's a light-handed comment uh, the, the the 90s truly ended on 9-11. Yes. So up until that point, like spring 2001 is still the 90s, in my opinion. Absolutely. Uh, so this movie has that pre-9-11 innocence to it. Totally. Uh, yeah, we, we, I'm so glad you brought yeah. that up. We bring that up on the podcast probably way too frequently. But um, <laughs> we, we watch a lot of movies around this time period. And it is like interesting to see, especially a movie that comes out in 2001. It's like, is this pre or post? And like, you didn't. I didn't even need to look it up. This is a pre nine eleven movie. This movie is yeah. bonkers. It's goofy. It's full of life. It's full of like um, meanness and just like it's harsh. It's aggressive. It feels like the nineties. And yeah, like when you see a movie after nine eleven, it's uh, you know it's it's a, that took so long to yeah. to pump back into to movies. Yeah, and the soundtrack is so just like playful late nineties millennial era like. Everything about it uh, is just of of that of a different era. Like '90s romantic comedies are just a different breed, and and many would argue, and I would agree that it was sort of when the genre reached its its platonic ideal. Mm. Um, and Britta Jones is, in my opinion, one of the best of them. And so it, this is sort of like the end of the era of like the perfect romantic comedy. Okay, so I'm I'm honestly watching this made me realize that I don't think I've watched a romantic comedy <laughs> just full stop <laughs> i don't think so i because I, I was watching this i was like oh wow that's this is the tropes i've heard about is like <laughs> choosing between two people I, I honestly don't think i've seen like a full romantic comedy and, have you never seen like a julia roberts movie or a meg ryan movie oh or, i've seen a meg know, ryan like... no you're right i've seen meg ryan movies and i've seen julia okay. roberts movies. yeah you're right <laughs> but this like have feels... you seen like notting hill by any chance i haven't like, seen that's... notting hill i haven't okay. seen love actually i haven't seen okay like i missed the whole like 2000 to 2010 wave i think that was pretty big um yeah i think notting hill was like 99 i think but okay. you know so that was that was a creative team a lot of creative team behind that went on to make this movie okay uh like richard curtis uh who made that movie was is one of the screenwriters on this film and then of course the hugh grant was in that and then they got him to come on board for for this as well okay yeah, in a very different in a in a you know in a in a Lothario role as opposed to a romantic lead role, mm. which is fascinating. Yeah, it made me want to. I mean, these are. Um, I think I get older, I sort of lose. Like yeah, you know, music. I sort of was real. I don't want to use the word snobby because it's like I wasn't judging other. Well, maybe when I was really young, I was, but like it just wasn't hitting. And now, like I think I like more like poppy music and stuff that's easier. Yeah. And I think I might be ready just to sort of dive into this. Is like. I have some problems with it in some ways because it's still sort of a leftover from an earlier time. But overall, it was mm-hmm. like, uh, it was just 
it was just fun like watching two british guys beat the shit out of each other for literally no reason without like a judging eye like i it makes no sense and it's bad ultimately the two men are fighting each other for whatever reasons they do but i just it was wonderful i it's just like i want to go back and i think i should just dive in this has been already inspiring well i mean you know that scene uh famously was actually not it was largely improvised i had a Um, feeling yes (laughs) yes so clearly there are some bigger moments that were that were that were choreographed but most of it was just them just improvising just like being silly british men trying to slap each other yeah yeah like Uh, when one of them tries to wear the other one like a large coat i was like that kid no i don't think a fight choreographer is ever going to employ the large coat strategy (laughs) yeah no that's just something the two of them picked up at boarding school but yeah i i think what you said is I think what you said um, is so is so spot on about as you get older, um, you just don't. It's just like life is too short to deny yourself simple pleasures. Like that's the way I see it. Like yeah, the simple pleasures of pop music and romantic comedies. It's just like why? Like what are we trying to prove? The longer we were just like no, I only like difficult, obscure things. Right, like, smart like, stuff. Like, exactly. Like what's the problem? And the, this movie is definitely like a pop song in movie form. Yeah, yeah, and it it employs pop songs, but it also it's like and it's it still is ugly and weird and complicated in a way that I think that's what that's why pulp is fun and why exploitation is fun and why sort of artists, you know, like not to get too critical, but like you know, the French New Wave was just like, oh, look at these French people like riffing on like st- stupid American. stupid shit. Right. But it's like right. there's complexities to everything and sometimes like as we were talking about, like I don't want to see the version where the director is making me aware that Bridget Jones is insecure. I want them to create an insecure character where wherever she goes, I just sort of have this sense of dread that follows her, not because I'm being I, I sort of like I feel like the modern horror movie to just sort of shift to another genre is like actually to bring up the closer on your most recent episode of The Binge, I also think you were spot on there because like that movie I really didn't like because of how try hard it was to be like, here is a movie about trauma. And this isn't about <laughs> aliens. This is like, what right. if I subbed in aliens and still have this trauma story? And that's sort of what, what I'm afraid of is like, if the new Bridget Jones is like, we have just metaphors for her insecurity rather than just like having a dipshit who right. is scared of being herself try in her own way to like be more comfortable being herself. And yeah, I don't want the I don't want the modern version of this. No, no. Yeah, it's 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 interesting to whenever I was reading, and I, I I recommend this to you. I'll see if I can find it to send it to you. But um, you know, Lindy West, uh, of course, if any listener doesn't know, is just one of the best, funniest, most insightful writers um that we have. And when she digs into movies, she is especially uproarious. Um, she has a a newsletter that she has for her um for her, well, not not Patreon, was it? That doesn't matter. She's a newsletter uh, called Butt News, B-U-T-T. And she does these just <laughs> eviscerations of movies that are recommended to her by her viewers, uh, by her listeners, by her readers. And usually, I mean, she does not hold back. And she absolutely, of course, is judging them very much by like a modern day, terminally online, Lindy West perspective. But when she was doing Bridget Jones, uh, she didn't really have that much to ding it on. Like, you know, she's like, there's obviously some elements here 
that are not empowering, but that's, but it's aware of that. Like, mm -hmm. you know, like the, the sort of like the fat phobia that Bridget has internalized from just living in a patriarchal Western culture is like, she's like, Lindy's like, well, yeah, that's real. <laughs> like, of course, like she, you know, feels the way that she's always trying to make herself thin. She thinks she's fat. Um, and, and this is something that is one of the most bizarre legacies of this whole franchise is that Renee Zellweger famously gained 25 pounds to play Bridget in this movie. A fact which I forgot when I first started to watch it because she looks the way that she looked in like Jerry Maguire. Like she does not right. look any different. Um, and then each time that she would come back to play the character again, um, or at least I think in the second one, the third one, I think maybe they wrote it in so she wouldn't have to do it again. Because I mean, also nice. just as a human being, she's getting older and it's just not very healthy to like keep, you know, yo-yoing. Right. Um, so, you know, leave that to Christian Bale. But yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> she's like, I'm not going to do that. Um, although I think there is like an interesting sort of gendered qual um, conversation to have there about how Christian Bale is like, you know, held up as like this, this icon legend of like method acting. For because he does it for masculine movies, but then Renee Zellweger does it for Bridget Jones, and everyone's like, "Ah, you got fat again!" Right? Um, yeah, totally. Know. Yeah, the the whole machinist to Batman thing is like right. told as a is like a celebration of Christian Bale when it's like, I mean, I I don't know, maybe, but yeah, I totally I agree. I didn't even really know that about it, and I think I've heard so much pushback, especially from my co-host that doesn't do this anymore. But like, we almost did this franchise, and he. Like I'd never seen it. He was talking about how like, oh, it's like they got a beautiful person to like be fat. And isn't that like, I don't know. It's just, I think that's actually really amazing that they got someone that isn't at all overweight because women get that, especially like in the acting world, like she looks normal to all of us. And yet she is definitely made to feel fat by everyone in her life because she is whatever she's 138 pounds instead of 132 right. pounds so it's like i actually think that's i don't know i mean who knows i'm i'm a i'm a man and I, I don't really have the same like i've had some weird body stuff but basically it's like i don't know i sort of respect that it wasn't a you know like 400 pound person in the role it's like all it takes is two pounds to suddenly have this insecurity right. built into you over your life and yeah well exactly no exa i think that's exactly it i think that's exactly it like, that's kind of the point, is that, you know, Renee Zellweger in this film uh, is playing somebody who society says, like, at, at that at that point in time, society was saying, you need to be thinner. Right. You know, you, you're, you're too heavy. Um, and so, you know, and, and that is very much reflected in the books as well. Um, and, and again, the, the books don't have any sort of self-pity about it. I think the books are relatable because I think it's an experience of many people of just to constantly just be worried about your weight. And to always be like, kind of like mentally thinking like, oh, I'm going to do something to lose weight and then not really doing it. Like you said that earlier and it was very spot on of like this, this thing of like setting, you know, a new year's resolution and then failing to follow it for even two hours. Like that's very much the spirit of Br the Bridget Jones books. And to me, that's sort of become the spirit of just sort of like Instagram memes. You know, I feel like that's like the punchline in most internet memes I see is basically our own folly as human beings when we set off to like be better and then fail immediately because we didn't actually try like that's sort of the same punchline that runs through the bridget jones books and and you know and as we were saying with the boobies it, it tries to invest a bit more humanity in it but essentially that's the punchline of the books but yeah essentially it's it's just that she is always being told she needs to lose weight 
Um, and then, you know, they have, they'll cast other actresses in the film um, who have, you know, sort of thinner builds as her sort of romantic nemeses, mm-hmm. uh, you know, whether it be M. Beth Davids, uh as Natasha, Mark's other girlfriend, whether it be uh, the <laughs> Lisa Rinna lookalike, the other girlfriend, yeah. whether, it, whether it be the Lisa Rinna lookalike who plays the Daniel's American mistress. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, so I think there there's some deliberate casting there just to cast them to look physically unlike Bridget, right? Uh, and like bizarrely, um, uh, like the weird the sex scene, the only sex scene in the movie, and this may sound pervy, this may sound um, <laughs> childish, but I literally had to pause it because I did not understand like what the bodies were doing. They were so like angular and thin, and I think it was. I mean, who knows? I might be reading way too much into this, but I really do think that the filmmakers intentionally chose like unnervingly thin people to be naked in this movie. And then the mm-hmm. final moments of this movie is Renee Zellweger normally just like in her underwear being a normal person and suddenly, but that's the person that's been like trained her whole life to feel out of place. Yeah, 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 no, I, I, I agree. I think, I mean, I think it's so great, especially just to have Sharon McGuire directing this and being able to bring that sort of female gaze to the subject matter of the female body. Uh, because I think that kind of, that, that insight and sensitivity is so needed to tell the story the right way visually. Um, although, brief aside on the sex scenes. Uh, uh, so there's this, the scene when Bridget and Daniel are on their weekend getaway. Um, yeah. And we sort of join them post-coital. And yeah, uh, then they do. have this dialogue. Yeah, right. That's where I like to come in. Yeah, exactly. It's like, that's okay. It's like, so what are you guys doing? Um, <laughs> and they have that dialogue where she says, uh, you know, like, you know, she's like, you know, what you just did is actually legal in several countries. Right. Um, so, and I remember watching that with like the director's commentary like 20 years ago and the Sherry McGuire being like, ah, here's the anal sex scene. And I was like, oh, wow. Oh, oh, so that's actually <laughs> what that dialogue is referring to. Wait, what did you um, think it was referring to? I don't think I really thought twice about it. I thought it was just some generally some reference to like, oh, they did some dirty sex thing. Mm. I was not at the time, uh, you know, I probably was watching this with the commentary when I was like, I don't know, like 18 or 19. So I was not really thinking in terms of like sodomy laws. I was just like, oh, they had did some dirty sex thing. Right. And um, and so then whenever Daniel was like, you know, he's like, if you say it again, I'll, I'll do it again. And, uh, and then he's like, right, turn over, you know, bite the pillow. And, um, and then, you know, and you hear her like dirty giggling as the camera somewhat cruelly pulls out to reveal like a slow dancing newlywed couple served in juxtaposition to Bridget getting, you know, um, you know, butt fucked by Daniel, (laughs) who's about to like leave her the next morning. (laughs) Yeah, it's, um, I think you could make a really good, um, soundboard with Hugh Grant's character. He -hmm. says he's, he's got some. I I think an, uh, the modern audience is also like this movie doesn't take place in the real world is my mm-hmm. understanding <laughs> of it. It's deranged. Uh, everyone is shit. And I think that's very purposefully done. Like this is a satire of um, all sorts of things. And having Hugh Grant be a total fucking skis ball. I think it works because like British comedy is so acerbic that way where it doesn't like it doesn't intend for you to like people and it doesn't intend for you to like actually consider them to be realistic. It's like the extreme versions of things. And mm-hmm. I was into it. I think, I mean, yeah. I will, t- well, I think we'll have to do a segment on who, who we choose. Um, Cause that's a very, you know, that's the ultimate. Mm-hmm. So think on that. 
but yeah he's yeah, a, he's you know. like they meet because he sends her an, uh, a, a sexual harassment email <laughs> as it, i know leaving a full email trait just like full email trail of yeah like, you know it's just like it's, it's a it's a bold move it's a bold move and and even then like i think the joke being Bridget's lack of self-esteem yeah. <laughs> that she would be so cravenly receptive toward that kind of message that she would show up in a sheer top the next day to encourage it to continue. Right. And the uncle character and oh, yeah. the other guy who looks looks at her tits all the time. It's like, yeah, this is not like, I just think the characters here are versions of masculinity that suck and also shape who, like, the choice in this movie is bad. Like, you get to choose... A dipshit lawyer. I guess he's a good lawyer. He's a humanitarian lawyer, it seems like. He seems like he's doing yeah. good stuff. But he's yeah. sort of cruel and rude and um, annoying. And the other guy's like a total loser. Oh. But he's somehow, like, he's a sexually aggressive, like, shitbag. And yet, they're somehow nicer than every other man in the movie other than her father. <laughs> and this is the world that Bridget in, in, inhabits is, like, Right. where everyone's groping her or or staring at her and yeah. this isn't like a i think this is a wonderfully non-celebratory movie about like romance i think that's a good way of putting it and i i, I want to say there's some reference in the book to like there, there's there's in this movie there's a lot about bridget sort of Bridget having anxiety over wearing the right or wrong pair of underpants for any given situation. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I think there's like some line of dialogue somewhere in the books where she gets called out for like, they're like, Bridget, do you, do you put on your underpants every day thinking what will happen in case somebody sees them? And she's this moment where she pauses like, Oh, is that unusual? Is that not normal? Is that, does that make me strange? Um, but yeah, no, I mean, she, she, she does exist in this sort of very, um, yeah, I mean, sexually embattled kind of state um, from men on all sides, um, including her just trying to find her way professionally. But I will take this opportunity, since we're talking about Mark Darcy a moment ago, just to point out the the Pride and Prejudice factor. Yeah. Um, you read of, it? Of this. Um, y- yes, yes. Okay. And, you know, in this being openly very much an homage to Pride and Prejudice, um, right down to the character being named Mark Darcy right. and Colin Firth having played Mr. Darcy in the famous 90s BBC miniseries of Pride and Prejudice, which in the book, Bridget watches over and over and over. Um, and there's lots of talk about, she always uh, jokes about pausing at the scene where he's like getting out of the lake after having jumped into the lake. <laughs> so there's a very- That's amazing. I think it's part of I yeah, really like that no, meta meta's thing. I I have yeah. not read Pride and Prejudice. I have not seen the miniseries, so that was lost on me. But I think that's that's really funny. It is very like it is it is definitely a bit of meta casting that they get at the beginning Colin Firth to actually play Mark Darcy in this. Um, but and I think that was also something as a teenage boy that I connected with about Bridget in the book is that she's horny. Like this is this is an important element of Bridget. She's mm-hmm. horny. Mm-hmm. Like that's not that's that's something that also makes her unique. I think among a sort of a rom com heroine, yeah, is that you know while rom com heroines always you know ten, are looking for romance, you know it's not necessarily that they are like horny for the guys. Um, certainly in the nineties, in the two thousands, rom coms got a lot raunchier in general. Um, but up until that point, it was a little bit more of like a. Yeah, just romantic. It was always romantic. Like Meg Ryan, Julie Roberts, these gals were not yeah. like, you know, getting boners for the guys. No, like it was they, asexual. They were, yeah. Yeah, it was pretty asexual. 
Um, Bridget is horny. Uh, so I think that that's something that does speak to this character as being sort of a, a, a heightened version of this archetype. I want to ask you a question. For me, yeah. the weirdest part of this movie is it starts. She's what, 38, 32? Two. 32. And she says she's been single her whole life. And yet mm -hmm. five minutes in the movie, she's fucking Hugh Grant. So like, what do you, is this just like literally there is no Bridget before? Or is she just like a sexual person that is always also feeling sad that she's in, in a relationship? Like, it's such an interesting split between someone who's feels insecure, feels fat, feels judged, feels groped, yet she seems to have absolutely no problem fucking anyone that she wants to fuck. It's so interesting. Mm -hmm. Did you, like, what, mm -hmm. did, what did you think of this? It's like this way that we just meet this character who is sexually powerful, yet we right. think of her, like the opening line is like, oh, I'm, I'm like a, a loser. I'm a, a virgin loser mm -hmm. was my take. And then suddenly like, oh, wait, no, she's like, she gets it. She's out there. Yeah, yeah, no, it's a great question. Um, yeah, thinking back through the books, I feel like she maybe had allusions to like college boyfriends or things like that. I think that when she's a single, I think she means that she's never really had a meaningful long-term relationship. I think mm -hmm. that she's, she's been actively dating and on the single scene for her entire adult life, um, but she has never found love. Uh, so I think when she says single, she means more along those lines, but but no, it's, and I think that that's part of what happens with Daniel is that he objectifies her in a way that almost sexually enervates her. You know, like he looks at her as being desirable and she's in a society that's, being, that's telling her that she's actually fat and dumpy and it's going to die alone. And so she is sort of like sexually brought to life by his attention. And, you know, and so she starts to dress the part and act the part. And, you know, and, and then, you know, goes all in with him. So I think it's, I think, and I think that's true to life. I think that we can move through this life, not sure, uh, you know, how we operate in a physical sexual wavelength. And then somebody comes along that we have chemistry with. And then suddenly we're like, like she, when she answers the phone and she says, you know, Bridget Jones, wanton sex goddess with a very nasty man between her thighs. Mm -hmm. um, hello, mom. Yeah. Uh, you know, Who hasn't uh, I, that I think problem? that that. Yeah, you know, we've it's like this is why I, you know, after that, I'm just like, I will stop answering. The phone. <laughs> uh, you know, I just stopped having my men between my thighs, so that's how I solved that problem. Well, well, I, I win. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I know it was such a bad call, <laughs> wrong come decision. On. Hey, it's almost New Year's resolution <laughs> time. Yeah, come on, come on, but yeah, no, I, I think that I, so I think it's that I think it's just a real, another relatable element of Bridget is that. Daniel brings out that side of her that is not there with everybody. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah I, I'm, uh, so I, I think this is a good time. I, I would, who would you choose? Who would you, who would you, I think, so that actually, one thing you reminded me of is that I, you know this movie better than I do, and I only watched it once. Um, do they ever say the word love in this movie? Or does she ever say that she yeah. loves, she does. Okay. Okay, because I really liked how they're both like just using like, I really like you. Most of it is like, I really like you or I like you. Well, it's interesting because I actually noticed this when I was watching. Um, right when she's in bed with Daniel after, after he has sodomized her, she says, 
do you love me? Mm. And then he says, shut up, I'll do it again. That's and right. So, and, she, and then she says it again, tongue in cheek, like, do you love me? Um, you know, which is very, it's really sort of perverse almost that like this is, um, you know, she's trying to become a bit more emotionally connected to him, um, which he then turns into, um, you know, like the most sort of intense sexual thing that they could possibly move into. Right. Um, does, but so. does she say that she <laughs> loves either of them? It's a good question. I'm trying to remember if she ever tells Mark. I mean, famously, Mark says he likes her quite a bit just as she is. Yeah. And that's like the mantra um, for the final third of the movie. Is, mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I yeah. mean, we're not, we can't just, we can't solve this because we're both forgetful, it seems like. But I, I will wager, <laughs> I would like to make a bet that no one actually declares love for anyone else in the movie. Yeah. And I might be I think- wrong. I think you're right. I think you're right. And I think that that's, I mean, it makes sense because her and Mark don't actually start a relationship in this movie, really. Like, they they sort of circle each other. Yeah. It would be odd, or at least unrealistic, for Mark and, for, for Mark and Bridget to declare their love for each other at the very limited juncture that they get as a couple in this movie. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, they sort of start to fall for each other, and that kind of stops there. Yeah, and I think that's I'm a little out of my depth with romantic comedies, but I sort of I feel like this is a little different because Bridget, even though she's been like single her whole life, still isn't like look. It doesn't seem like she's looking for love. She's just like trying to get fucked, and then mm-hmm. sort of feels like she likes Mark a little bit more than she likes uh, Hugh Grant. But like at the end of the movie, I'm not like oh they're gonna get married. That's not the that's mm-hmm. not the goal of this movie. The goal of this movie is just to like uh bring these two dipshits together. <laughs> For whatever, who cares? Um I think I would have chosen especially you know like I would go for Hugh Grant's character. I think he's way more fun. I mm. prefer his hair. I prefer yeah. Honestly everything about him is energy and like you know he was very upfront. He did not he said this is not a serious thing. And I think Bridget maybe should have listened more to him and been like, I mean, yeah, maybe they should have set up ground rules a little bit first. Like, I will fuck this American person sometimes too. Right. But like, he wasn't ever saying like, we're going to, this is going to be a serious thing. And we're fucking boss, you know? This is not going to turn into anything. So as long mm-hmm. as Hugh and I are on the same page, uh, I would I would have let Mark win the fist fight, walk off, and then never see him again, I think is the how I would have ended this movie if I were Bridget. Who, yeah, who did you, who would you have chosen? Or not, yeah, you do know, you even, yeah, no, you have to choose. I've decided, you must choose. Okay, all right, well, you've decided. So <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna, you have to do it. Oh, gosh, you know, it's tough. I, I think that in, in, the, in the book, I think there's very much a dichotomy established between Mark and Daniel as sort of like, what you need versus what you want like what's good for you versus what feels good mm-hmm. so you know which is you know not of course groundbreaking um in terms of you know like the human heart and and the heart wants what it wants and that kind of thing you know there's the things that are good for us and there are the things that we just want so daniel what's made very clear is not good for her um you know it's a it's a toxic relationship that is essentially one-sided emotionally um you know she has a lot of fun with him but it's it's not a lasting relationship and i think bridget is ultimately looking for a lasting relationship which is why daniel ultimately like i totally agree with you if they had a mutual understanding 
that they were not exclusive, then they can continue having fun together. Mm-hmm. But but that's yeah. also we haven't even talked about this. The overarching, like the greatest, most oppressive force in Bridget Jones's diary is just like heteronormative culture that tells women they have a sell by date and they have to get married. Otherwise, they will become a spinster for the rest of their lives. You're right. That is just a social pariah. We haven't. Yeah. The mom, like that, her relationship with his mother is the first thing you meet in this movie. And it is the reason why she sort of stops being her 31 year old self and is like fine i guess my mom i just need to do this before i run out of time right you know as the mother says within seconds of the film starting you never get a boyfriend if you just wandered out of auschwitz i know incredible i mean as she sucks and but i love how funny they made her suck like the racist remark was so Uh, yeah so like uh i can't repeat it on the podcast but Mm -hmm. it is a fucking hilarious line if you want to write someone to be it like it's it's from the book it's a, it's a, it's, it's great. It's a good line for a shitty character and it's perfect. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. They, they did change some elements. Like the, the, the storyline with the mother having the affair um, is from the book as well. Although it's not a TV presenter in the book. So that was one of those strange things. I don't know why they changed. I liked also it, added but a, I don't yeah, know it what it was. It's a, it's a weird, like the fact that uh, her, her dad can watch, <laughs> watch the relationship, <laughs> like, dismantle on television is a really funny i think it's a funny bit it is a funny bit it is a funny bit i think in the book he was just he was like a con artist who was not on tv um and then there was like some international intrigue at the end where he was actually like a criminal or something he's like a cartel leader so big very ridiculous uh and then the other weird detail they add for the movie is um the gay friend tom Mm -hmm. being like a one-hit wonder like in the book he's just He's he's just another gay. He's just her gay friend. He's just her gay friend. Uh, so they just add this detail, um, which is you know leads to some some lols. But that's true. But there yes, were some lols. There were some lols. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that you know this this pressure that Bridget feels not only from her mother but just from the way that you know women uh, are are socialized and at least especially women of Bridget's generation who you know would have been if she was mid thirties you know in the mid nineties then she would have been born you know she like sort of like a either youngest boomer, oldest Gen X kind of cusp, boomer Gen X cusp. Um, Not a good cusp. Like, <laughs> you know, yeah. she's cusping hard. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, like, yeah, she was socialized. I think like, yeah, you have a spell by date. There's also the pressure to, you know, if you, you know, you need to be able to have a child with this husband. Right. So, like, you know, so she has that kind of overwhelming societal pressure. Like if it wasn't for that, then maybe she would feel unencumbered and free to just fuck the Daniels of the world the rest of her life and not worry about it. But she is being told, you need to find a husband to start a family with. And she's thinking Daniel could be that person, but he's just a fuck boy. And Mark is yeah. positioned as that person. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll, I mean, I hope to meet him in the second one, but I think you're right. I think the, I mean, the, you, not much praise you can throw on Daniel, but it, the only thing you can like commend him for is that he's very upfront about being a fuckboy. Like he does mm-hmm. not keep it secret. He's a very aggressive, awful person. But um, like she knows what she's getting, and I think the movie is one. Like it just really shows like all the bad boys out there, the boys that we all want to avoid and want to avoid being. <laughs> um, and this movie is just full of it. And uh, it's, I think it's, uh. If you're if if you're in a critical mood or you just don't really paying attention, I think you could override this as being like a like, why is this so tone deaf about 
like shitty man but i really do think this movie is like fully showcasing how fucked men are and mm-hmm. yeah and just like there's there's no great options out there yeah. <laughs> especially yeah, in no. 2001 <laughs> but you still haven't I you mean, still haven't answered the question you've been that's gracefully avoiding choosing i mean it's it's because it's also hard to answer because i know everything that happens later on okay in the franchise but it's a rule but, of the you podcast know, it, you can't reference future movies yes. until we get there so you know right. i mean for me that was like that was the question i was having like ooh, who would i choose or who's which one's she gonna go for but hey maybe if you're not feeling it this question is irrelevant to you and you, i mean you don't I mean, have to answer i, I was kidding you I, don't have to answer there's a world for both i mean i am i am far more attracted to hugh grant in this movie than i am to colin firth um but yeah i think that's also i think that's also typical of like i think gay men in general are more are, are we go for pretty and hugh grant is pretty he is pretty uh and Colin Firth is more sort of like, you know, ruggedly handsome in the face, at least not, not the word rugged doesn't come to mind for Colin Firth otherwise. No, but I was, uh, it actually popped into my head too. I don't know if it's just the size of his head difference between Hugh Grant's head. He just has like a, a larger um, person about him. Well, he's got the bushy hair, you know, yeah. she calls him a bushy haired boar. Mm. Uh, and I mean, he's dressed terribly in this film. <laughs> I mean, Hugh Grant gets to wear a lot of sexy tight clothing and he, and yeah. Colin Firth is only ever wearing like boxy oversized sweaters yeah. and trousers Ugh, and like really yeah. sway shoot oh the suits then were bad yeah. um yeah i would say sexiest moment of the movie is when hugh grant pops out of the the, the small lake mm. um oh he looks so hot in that scene oh mate like i Oof. wasn't expecting it pops out cigarette in his mouth uh yeah. shirt down to his his well not mm. quite his belly button but he just looks amazing i think that was the moment Ugh. i was won over by by hugh grant yeah, and and I think and the and the, and the anal and the anal sex follows shortly thereafter. Uh, <laughs> she was because who could deny too. him? I know who could deny him in that I scene. Know. He's undeniable. No, he is. And and it even occurred to me that I think that was probably them also subverting the Pride and Prejudice thing, since in the miniseries it's Mr. Darcy <gasps> who emerges soaked from a lake. Wow. Um, so I, I guess that that's how you win. If you ever want to win over anyone, just fall into a lake. Yeah, yeah pop that, out. I mean, I, I've, I've tried. I'll keep trying. But, yeah, uh, I'm afraid. Yeah, no. I don't go into yeah, water. I'll just catch cold. Uh. Actually, I have this image of you reading Bridget Jones on the beach, but maybe that's just... Did, did you read it on the beach? Are you a psychic? Because I did read it on the beach. Maybe you said that. Uh, I don't know. I was just like imagining you. I said I read on summer vacation. Wow. But yeah. Okay. I, I went yes. straight beach, and I'm glad, because that feels like a really nice place to read this book. It is, it is a quintessential beach read. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, it was like, it was like a lake. So it wasn't like a cool beach. Okay. Uh, it was like Lake Erie, I want to say. Uh, so nothing, <laughs> cool too, nothing too exciting. Oh, Big Five. Yeah, you know, it has a cool name. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I, I was very much reading this um, on, on the beach. Um, mm. Just, yeah, feeling bizarrely seen by its, by its heroine. <laughs> I had that feeling. Um, so. <laughs> I don't want to get into it too much. I think this movie by the end sort of comes, I don't know. I'm, I, this is where I, I'm like, I'm feeling much better about the movie since talking to you. I'm enjoying what I enjoyed and sort of um, reevaluating what I found a little bit weird. The mother father relationship and the fact that she like chooses to be with Mark and the, like the, there was a line in the movie where um, her, her mother treats her dad like shit and then mm. she comes back after being treated 
like worshipped by this cool TV guy who's like, what? there's another amazing scene where he's just like a t- like one second where he uses the c word and it's just like yeah, this. It's yes. fun. it's like such a great scene because it shows yeah. how like flippantly awful he is. It's really it's 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 perfectly thrown in there. Um, mm-hmm. where she's just like, I'm I'm ready to come back to you. Um. Uh, what's your name? And then he's like, "Well, you actually sort of hurt me." And then he's like, never, "I was joking, of course. I couldn't be myself without you." And I, I sort of, I don't know if it's like the deepest satire. This, like, this movie just goes so deep that I can't see it as satire anymore. Or it's like trying to tell us that yes, you actually being single isn't as good as being in a relationship because you like mm. the phrase like I can't be myself without you. That's the phrase that. Daniel uses he says, too. He says, "I just don't. I just don't." Oh, work that's right. You. I don't work, which is like, wow, what a fucking like creepy way to put that. You're like need to be in a relationship with someone, and then Hugh Grant says, like, you know, of all the people, like, I forget exactly what he says because I'm forgetful. But he's like, basically, like, I couldn't be with anyone other than you, which is like the worst, <laughs> the worst like pickup mm-hmm. line is like, you know, like I'm damaged, but you're you're gonna be it, I guess. So this idea that yeah. another person can fix you, I don't know mm-hmm. if the director is like actually on board with it or if it's just like more right. like this is the dam this is where the damage starts is having your boomer parents be so fucking parasitically entrenched with each other that they then pass that on to you. Yeah, I think it's interesting. I, I would say that for I think the dad's is I think the dad is Colin. Colin and Pam are the parents. Okay. And um when Colin says you know, after calling, hey, you know, he's like, you daft cow. I know. Uh, you know he... <laughs> I'm just kidding, you daft cow. It's yeah. like, why are you joking about this? This is incredibly right. important. I think to me, and, you know, maybe this speaks to my own uh, issues, but that scene makes me so emotional. Really? Um, as somebody in, you know, a, a long-term, you know, relationship slash marriage, like, Saying, I mean, they. This is a couple that has been married for for presumably at least as long as Bridget's been alive. Yeah, they've been married for over three decades, and the, and then they hit this speed, this bump, and Pam goes off and has this ill ill fated affair. Um, and I mean, he is, you know, and then she comes back to him with having seen the error of her ways, and you know, and he you know makes her work for a little bit, but then yeah, I think that. To say I just don't work without you after decades of marriage is, I think, not toxic. I think it's actually quite lovely uh, about how people become just connected. Like after you have been married and living together for decades, then like yeah, like if that person goes away, then how do you keep functioning? You mm. know, like it's so to to me that was a sweet part. I, okay. I can't remember what what like Daniel that. says to her. What Daniel says to her, I think, is more Daniel just trying to manipulate. Yeah, I think he's just yeah he's just trying to get back in. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But it's interesting the similarities because like mm-hmm, uh, the language. Yeah, right. Like, is, and... she, is she just looking for her father? Is she just mm, you know? Right. Is, is she you know? Yeah. yeah, and I love that you find that sweet because I do like I think there is something sweet about the way that, um, like, you know, that's one of the best things about being in a long term relationship is that you have uh so much time to fuck up talking to each other so that you can like right continue to get better at communicating and yeah. i just like the that use and i'm glad you remember because like being broken is like i hope that regardless of like if i ever you know my spouse and i broke up i hope that like there would be a self full way to do that and this idea that this man is like 
completely lost without this person that on a whim just sort of, or maybe not on a whim, we don't really mm -hmm. get huge access to her decision. But like, obviously mm -hmm. something's not working and rather than confront it, she goes and does something, she comes back and like the British, I guess it's the British way, they just like don't fucking talk about it. And they just like, you know what, let's, right. just, let's just go back, we're fine. So that's why it's like, it's yeah. both toxic and sweet at the same time. It's sort of the underlying relationship that people sort of fall into refusing mm -hmm. to confront conflict and just accept things for what they are without actually thinking about if they're healthy um it's I mean, whatever yeah, it doesn't need to I mean, do anything classic and sweet at the same time that's what marriage is yeah um, that's, it's, that's, and i think that's, that's why this movie's great because it doesn't like actually explain itself it just like showcases a bunch of uh like the vicar and prostitute party <laughs> the is parts and vicar's <laughs> yeah, party. So, yeah. uh, <laughs> it's funny it's, it's like it's funny it's weird um, and it's like wait is this actually a thing it doesn't matter it's just it's dropped in there's no reason for it other than to have no. her um in a weird situation and, and i think this was like the same year that legally blonde came out um which had a very similar scene which also technically is considered a romantic comedy uh has the same scene where where Reese Witherspoon shows up dressed as a bunny um mm -hmm. at a party where she's been under false pretenses led to believe that this is a costume party so it was a thing that was happening a lot in the wow. early 2000s. But oh my God, I, so I do scary. think that for me, the funniest part of watching this movie this time was the split second 30 Rock style cutaway whenever Bridget finds her father also dressed up for the Tarzan Vickers party. And she's like, oh, you didn't get the memo either, huh? It's... And he's just like, thank God I didn't go as much as Colin over there. Yeah. And <laughs> just cut to this man wearing like a full Pope's costume and just tries to give this like this noble, stiff upper lip British smile like hello. Yeah. Uh, like, it's just uh it's so funny yeah i think this movie wouldn't have worked if it also hadn't been funny like i was expecting this to not be funny based on the people that i've talked to and i laughed and that's like uh whatever it's high praise if a comedy makes you laugh even like 10 times yeah. i was it, that's that's what we always say on the binge that we're just like if it's 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 a comedy and it either is funny or is not funny and you know i i do think this is funny uh and i think that there's at least I think the line from this that that my husband Scott and I quote the most this day is just when she's practicing for like her talking points at the publishing party and she's saying, "Isn't it terrible about Chechnya? Isn't it terrible about Chechnya?" Yeah, uh, that for some reason has really uh, endured for us. Uh, yeah. it is. It just always feels relevant. Um, also worth noting. Renée Zellweger was nominated for an Oscar for this movie. Hell yeah, she was. And um, I actually remember watching this Oscars, though I had no real... I didn't know what Bridget Jones's Diary is when I was... Uh, what was I guess I was 16. Um, mm -hmm. I don't think I saw any of the movies that came out because I didn't see Monster's Ball. Um, oh, yeah. Maybe I should. Maybe I should, do, maybe I should do a little 2001 revisit. Uh, I have to see what else was nominated that year. But yeah, Monsters Ball, that's I talk about trauma porn. Uh, yeah, but, I, I've never yeah. seen it. I don't know that. Maybe, I, maybe you know what, you've, you've convinced me. Never mind, I'm not going to go back. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's incredibly acted. It's incredibly acted. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I mean, it definitely is like very trauma porn. Yeah. Um. Well, I guess speaking of Oscars and awards, this is a great time to, I think, choose our MVP. And if you have any questions about what that means, I can try to explain it. It was something that Josh introduced years ago. And uh, it really, for me, it's, it's just who, like, sometimes I give it to, like, Josh has given, he infuriates me. He sometimes gives it to, the, like, the director or something. And, like, he's not a character. But 
you can really choose anyone like whatever <laughs> made this movie work for you whatever matched the vibe um maybe it's sometimes just uh one moment that really was like oh this is the best part of the movie so i can go first or if you have someone that you thought about go right ahead i want to hear it well i haven't chosen one yet hmm. Ooh, well i could jump in i think i have something okay uh yeah 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 so i I would say the moment that this movie immediately becomes iconic, legendary, the moment that you know that Renee Zellweger is actually nailing this, the moment that you realize that you are in the presence of rom-com greatness, that you are in good hands, is the title credit scene of her singing along to All By Myself uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. In, in her flat. Um, just the, it's, it's, it's like an unbroken, it's a long take. Um, and she has this triumphant emotional arc, um, as she's singing along to the song alone in her flat, um, with her wine and her cigarettes. Um, a, as she, you know, starts from just a very sad self-pitying place doing a little like sad air guitar, um, you know, yeah. and then building up the end of the song, just defiantly <laughs> pointing to everybody saying, you know, she's all by herself. Um, but she's doing it in this way that just you can't help but fall in love. And that's that's a fucking movie star, ladies and gentlemen. That is a <laughs> fucking movie star who can pull off a moment like that. Right. That's an I, I say this to my spouse a lot. Like I find acting to me maybe the most embarrassing profession on earth. Like mm-hmm. when it doesn't work, it's like it's just so like, why? Are you, wait, you're just like standing in front of a camera doing dumb shit. And that scene, if you can't pull off that scene. It's just like, oh my god! I hope you got paid a lot because this is fucking embarrassing. And I mean, imagine there's a whole crew standing there, and oh, she's just sitting there having I to pretend know. that she's home alone. There's like, who knows? Like a dozen, two dozen people all standing around, pointing things at her, and it's entirely on her to convey the scene to make it work. And like, it is, it is a, it is a, it is a breathtaking performance. Yeah, in that her scene. drums when, you know when she's doing the drums. Oh, the drums! She's absolutely. That's. That's like that's like that's like the yeah that's the oh that's like the spine tingling like oh when she does the drums it's all over You're like yeah. okay all right fine I have no more problems I have no more questions we're doing great <laughs> we're in good hands she's nailing it let's go and so your pick is is Bridget herself or is it Renee or I would say it's med- that scene okay. I would say it's that moment I so, would say it's 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 that very moment is I'm picking that for my MVP okay. even the drums I'll even narrow it in further and say the drums that so her the when drums, she the drums the air the, the air drums yes I really like that pick yeah it's a great karaoke pick too I don't think I could do it but it's a high it's a high song yeah it's too high for me but I wanted when I watched that scene I was like maybe I should listen to the song again and do it next time I I go out. I don't it's think it's a I good sad bastard. Out. Thank you. Yeah, it is. I think. I think that's. And then trying to figure out how to not get too uh, into it. I always have to. Well, I don't have to choose to hold back because I just inherently don't hold back. But um, <laughs> I don't know. This movie has so many. Like every. I think this is what to me feels like a '90s movie is that every character feels unbelievable and every character feels like uh, the friends, like the trio. I think I'm gonna just. I'm gonna go a little bit outside of normal here. And I'm going to okay. give it to the three friends. Mm-hmm. I think they sort of act as what the phrase audience surrogate. I think that's a phrase right. people say. Greek, audience surrogate, Greek chorus. Yeah. And they're um, slimy, crass, disgusting um, people that have all the wrong takes. And uh, <laughs> uh, like the scene where she makes dinner and they're all just like giving her so much shit and they still eat it. Like I would not eat that blue soup. 
that soup was poison. <laughs> <laughs> that was like See, they are good friends. <laughs> yeah, they, they are, still eat it. They're great friends. Um and I I feel like I hope that everyone has like a friend group like that. And so Bridget yeah. we sort of talked earlier about like we meet her so suddenly like she's 32. She's never been anything younger than 32 except for the fucking weird scene at the very end of the movie which we don't really yes. even need to talk about. Um right. um but it's it's yeah fucking yeah that's like when i was like wait do i like this movie i don't know if the person decided to do that uh it's bizarre and apparently that's like a different in a different end title end credit sequence in the uk that was the u.s specific one whoa and wait this was a wait was this a miramax movie it wasn't this was this must have been a fucking harvey movie well, yeah, yeah. I mean, Harvey was Harvey is, was the reason that she got the Oscar nomination. He was he knew how to work the Oscars. Like he, so that you know, it, it, this, yeah. yeah. So I don't know what if he had a role in that in the U.S. version of the closing <laughs> credits. Um, and maybe that was just a more instant time because back then I didn't think anything of it, but watching it now, I was just like, ooh, uh, uh, when yeah. she takes fuck. Oh my! But it's not I innocent because like they talk about it in the British way, being like. Hmm, that's sort of pervy, and it's like right. Okay, right. Like, run around naked in your paddling pool. Yeah, right. yeah. And it was, and it's like it sort of gets weird, but in like a British closeted, just like sexually <laughs> repressed way, where it's like mm-hmm. okay. But then when you actually fucking see the tape, I'm like, okay, I don't need to see the fucking tape. Yeah, this- it, it's it's strange. It, it would it would be, it gets weird specifically because when they show, innocently four year old Bridget Bridget like run, you know, take her top off and jump into the pool. They cut to Mark pulling his collar at eight years old, like, ooh, boy. Right. Like, which I think maybe for them is meant, to, they meant to suggest that he's like uncomfortable, but it reads more like he's turned on yeah. by a four year old girl and he's eight. Like, that age difference at the time is monumental. And it's just like, and then it's presented to me as an audience member to like be a part of the, it's just like, it's fucked yeah. up. I hated it. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a funny idea until like up until that point, it's a funny flashback. Because like just like seeing her just like being a complete train wreck in the background of his like right, eating cake party. This was funny. Yeah. When she eats the giant yeah, cake. Yeah, it's very cute. Yeah. But then when she remains, when she is still only a little girl in her underwear and he like walks up and is sort of like touching her arm and you know, they're holding hands wow. and they do they end on the close up of her little like cherubic little face. I'm just like, yeah. This is this has crossed a line. It's this has gone to a strange place. It's really I... a strange place. I'm glad this is on streaming services where it stops showing you the end credits. I hopefully most people don't have to endure that. Um, but before we got sidetracked with that, I yes. was saying like she exists as like a 32 year old without a past, and all we really get a sense of that past, other than the unmentionable thing, is these three friends who we obviously like we yeah. we get a sense of who like she's been hanging with these people for a long time, and I really like that they flesh out in their own way like versions mm-hmm. of bridget and like why they like her um yeah so i, I my mvp yeah. goes to the three friends i love it i love it i think it's a great pick my favorite moment with the friends is the shot of when she just falls out of the cab um because she's so drunk and tom says she's fine drive yeah. on um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> great moments like little bits that are all throughout this movie he's no they're all good i i really like the weird i forget what she was in but the the, the one we haven't talked about at all um dude yeah, she's fucking hilarious. Yeah. Well, she's yeah. moaning Myrtle on the Harry Potter movies. That's who it is, yeah. Yes. Um, and then uh, I, I ha- now must ask you if you are asking when will it end? And so- I am not. Mm. I am not. I'm not asking when will it end. I 
at the at this juncture in the franchise, I am ready for more. Although I did find myself thinking, as the movie was ending last night, that if the first book had and the and the first film had ended just where they were, and just left just been left to exist as just a perfect comedy book, a perfect romantic comedy film, in my estimation, would it have been better um, than what followed? And the answer is yes. <laughs> um, but but it, but at the time, not right. having the hindsight of, of, of everything that followed, um, yes, I was absolutely ready for more. And, and actually, fun personal fact, the second book, The Edge of Reason, when it came out, was the first thing I ever bought on Amazon. Whoa. That's a great yes. oh my, That's great trivia. So it came out in like the spring 99 or spring 2000. And I, I literally, I, I didn't have like, I literally had to go. There was like one computer in my high school that had the internet. It was like in, it was like in the librarian's office. And I'd like go in there and create an Amazon account <laughs> and order Bridget Jones, The Edge of Reason. Um, and that was, and that was how it all began. <laughs> Amazing. Wow. Um, yeah, I think, Hindsight is not allowed, so I'm glad you. Because like, yes. yeah, like that's. I think the concern is not like, yeah, it's always you know most of the time it's not going to keep getting better and better, and that's just. Right. But like, when watching this, do you get a sense that like, I want this to stop or I want this to keep going? I, while I'm not super interested in whether like I would actually be totally fine if like it's ten years later, Mark's out of the picture and it's just more Bridget doing Bridget shit, like. It doesn't need to continue, and I think I don't even actually know because I haven't looked into it at all. So I'm, I just yeah, not asking when will it end. I, uh, I'm on board until, and, and yeah, I guess I just don't want it to go back to, like if it's continuing <laughs> from where the movie ended, I'm not in for that. But anything else sounds great. Perfect. <laughs> uh, well, thanks so much, Jason. This is uh, really nice to have you on the show. Um, if you have anything. That I'm. I'll just put stuff in the in the show notes and the in the Instagram post. But yeah, is there anything you want me to plug or other than your podcast? Do you write no. still for anywhere that people, if they liked your takes, would want to read? Or well, no, I uh, I'm, most of my writing is for uh, is for my for my work, and I don't I don't have a byline on it. But I uh, I, I am I'm still I'm I'm a paid <laughs> I'm a paid writer. It's a hard thing to do, and I'm pulling it off somehow. So I'm happy to be able to do that. But no, uh, just check out the podcast, the Binge Movie Podcast. As Charles pointed out, it is infrequent. Uh, but we'd like to think that when we do make an episode, we try to deliver as best we can. I think that's great. Um, yeah, it's like not every show needs to come out every week, you know? Like yeah, if we, if you subscribe to it, yeah, it's hard. Um, it, it ruins you know? friendships. <laughs> <laughs> it does. Yeah. yeah, Rebecca and I have had a lot of challenging seasons in our friendship as yeah. a result of doing this show for so long. And we also no longer, for, for the first for the first five years of the podcast, we both live in the Bay Area together. And so that made it a lot easier to yeah. just go to press screenings every week and to get together like after a screening and just knock out an episode in my apartment. Um, but then COVID started and then we both moved to Southern California. I'm in LA. She's in Palm Springs. So it just it just made everything that much more that much more difficult. But yeah, we're, we're keeping it going. Well, yeah. So it, it, it's uh, it's I like that. If you have subscribers, they weren't unsubscribed because you haven't released an episode. They might just forget that they subscribed, and then suddenly, oh look, exactly. it's the binge it's podcast. Surprise. That's great. Yeah. So yeah, yeah so that's what you call surprise and delight. Yeah, that's what we like to aim for. Um, it's it's a great show, and uh, yeah, if if uh, Rebecca wants to join for any of them invitation is out there so 
<laughs> uh, let her know. But no, no pressure. Great. <laughs> well, I guess we'll be back uh, at the edge of reason. I have no idea what that means, and I'm excited <laughs> to find out. <laughs>